welcome to the Rack Podcast. This is Sonia Rieger. If you missed our last episode featuring respiratory therapist Jenna Sichters, you can catch that one and all of the Rack Podcasts on rack.edu/about-rack/podcast or listen on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartMedia, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Today we are bringing you a local story of entrepreneurial success. Our guest began his journey with an idea. As he worked his way through college, his idea became a plan. That plan soon became Beer Wall on Pen, an innovative experience featuring 38 self-service beer taps, amazing culinary options, and local wine and spirits. Please welcome owner Josue Matos. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. It's so good for you to be here with us today. Yeah. It's been a while since we worked together at the IMAX. It has. <laughs> it has, yeah. I remember vividly all those, all, those, all those times. Oh, same. Those were good times. I do. I remember my last day. I remember like, yeah. yeah. I know. Every time, times. Yes. Every time I tell someone, I'm like, we started on August 8th, 2008. Absolutely. You know, I remember that first day like it was yesterday yeah. almost. Yeah, helping put the IMAX screen up because we opened it. So that was yes. always really cool. Like oh we, gosh, That was special yeah. that we said like we were the opening staff to that theater. Yes, So hopefully absolutely. it's there for a long time. I hope so too. Every yeah. time I drive by, I think about it. Oh, all the time. All the time. All the time. I, that's, I mean, I still go there mostly to watch movies mm-hmm. just because it's like I'm biased to it. Of course. So like I have to still support it, <laughs> even though other theaters have gotten better, obviously. Yeah. So what'd you do after that? What'd you do after you left the IMAX? Yeah. So my mom, my mom has been at Penske for like 20 some years now. So back then, you know, figure I'm what, 21, 22 years old at that point. I've been at the IMAX for what? I was there for four years. And mm-hmm. I think you even stayed a little longer after I left. Yes. So I was there for four years and my mom was just like, you know, when you want a real job, pretty much let me know. In a sense, like not to like diminish like the IMAX, but you know, that's more of a 18, 19 high school job. So she's like, when you want a real job, let me know. We're hiring, Penske's going to be hiring this spring. So I applied for Penske. Um, obviously, I got in just because of my mom and who she was. So yeah, I was at Penske, honestly, from 2012 up until 2019. I was there for seven years. And then Very that's cool. sort of what ended up inspiring going back to school. Because once you work at Penske and you, and you get a taste of how the corporate structure, I guess, works, you know, for for what it's for what it is, you know, they're very big on education, you know, degrees and just really, you know, having that under your belt. So probably by year three, I was like, all right, I definitely don't want to be here forever. I've always wanted to go to school because all of my friends like went to school, they all have degrees. So I said, I know I want to go to school, but it's on my own time. Like I got my degree at 29 years old when I was all said and done. So I was obviously like, you know, going off of my own, my own timeline. So yeah, um, one of the managers there uh, was going to Albright at the time. And he mentioned this program they have where it's, it's geared towards working adults. You can keep your nine to five, you go to school at night. It's one course accelerated every seven weeks. So you only have that one class to focus on. So I'm like, that sounds like golden like absolutely mm-hmm. and I went I went I met with a counselor and you know that fall I was at I was at Albright taking my initial classes and that was four and a half years of, of going to school at night working at Penske during the day yeah. and uh yeah the beer wall spawned from that because uh ultimately your final capstone project before you can get your business degree is you have to present a business plan to the faculty to students it's like this whole you know little event at night and there's drinks and stuff after so yeah that's how the idea came about and it was supposed to be for the business plan uh, for the capstone project, I did a little too much work leading into the capstone project class. And they said, hey, you have a lot done already. That's sort of against the rules for the capstone oh, project. Wow. So oh, they okay. were like, unfortunately, you can't use it. And I remember that conversation. And the professor was like, but we wish you well. We think it's an awesome idea. So we hope you still pursue it. So yeah, so figure. So I was really working on two business plans at that point because I had my own for Beerwall and then I had my own for Albright, which was due in like four months. It was that, you know, June of 2018. Right. So I was doing both things, still working full time. It was crazy. It was, it was definitely a lot, but, you know, it sort of all worked out. 
Yeah. yeah. I certainly understand. I also didn't go to college right out of high school because right. it just wasn't my thing. Right. And, you know, I sort of stumbled upon Rack and did a business degree here. And I also did a capstone with a business plan. So I know nice. totally yeah. what you went through. But when I decided to go to Southern New Hampshire University for my bachelor's, it was the same kind of accelerated program for awesome. working adults, yeah. which is just so nice to hear. It's always sure. nice. It's always nice to hear stories about that you don't have to have it all together, you, you know, don't. when you're yeah, young. Not at all. Like, and I also think, you know, to think back when I was, I, when I walked in, I told him, I said, man, I took a semester here, like 2008, I think it was. So to think even then, I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know that I was like, part of me, honestly, though, it's weird that I fell into entrepreneurship because a part of me always had that mindset. So it, it's one of those things was like, if you find your destiny, you rediscover what you're meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like you'll know and you're happy. And that's where I'm at. I can say that today. But back then, um, I was just sort of here kind of floating, going through the motions of life, 18, yeah. Parents are like, you got to do something. So I went to rack, but never was really driven. So it was very different going back to school at 25 versus 18 or 19 because I was more mature. I kind of knew what I wanted out of it. I wasn't going to waste my money doing it versus 18. You're sleeping in, skipping eight o'clock classes. You're right. 18. You're right. a kid, you know? So <laughs> definitely had a different appreciation towards college when I was much older, obviously. So yeah, from it's... 25 to 29, essentially. Mm-hmm was when I actually really focused on school. Yeah, it's yours then and you own it. You yeah. know, it's totally your responsibility. Yeah, sure. it's, you've made all those decisions, so yeah. it is different. I say that all the time. So how did you come up with the self-serve beer idea? Did you get inspiration from somewhere? Yeah, so that winter, so this would have been winter of 2017. We started brainstorming because we knew like that, you know, spring we would have to be presenting our final project. So we're brainstorming. It's me and like probably nine other students at Albright. And we're at Pike one night and the one girl, Karen, who was in my class, she was like, so have you ever like hear of a beer wall? Like my son came back from California and he's raving about this, these places in California where you can like tap a card or a wristband and then you can like just taste test a bunch of different beers. And I'm like, and I'm a big craft beer guy. So I was like, get out of here. Like that, that I've never heard of it. So even now to see people's reaction when they walk in is like, I know what that's like, because I remember when I first, so it wasn't like, I didn't, Reinvent, reinvent the wheel like it was already there I just saw an opportunity to bring that concept to Berks County because I knew nobody was doing it I had some connections with like childhood friends who did pretty well for themselves my other friend Alex from Penske invested in Bitcoin so I knew that I could get a little bit of money to actually make to make it something mm-hmm. and yeah I just started reading about SBA loans and, and what that entails and how to you know Usually they want 10 or 20% down of any idea. So yeah, I mean, from there, it was just, you know, pedal to the metal. Like I knew the idea would work. I went home that night. I was like just Googling all these self-serve tap rooms all over the country. And again, at the time, there was nothing like it. The closest to us would have been probably New York at the time. Wow. Okay. And there was one little like pizzeria in, in Philly that had like some 12 tap. It was nothing. I, even the ones that I saw, I'm like, they're not doing it the way that I would do it. Mm-hmm. Like I would make I would make the restaurant around this concept with great beer, great food, game room, obviously. So yeah, that, that was the inspiration. I was like, it was just an opportunity and I took advantage of it. Yeah. And the craft beer scene, I feel like has really taken off in the past couple of uh, years. Huge. And the push to drink local, you know, even the local spirits yeah. and wine that you offer, that's yeah. that's really amazing. It is. It is cool. And people appreciate that. Like, you know, we're different. Like our Lancaster location, um, which we can get into, obviously, eventually we have a second location in Lancaster. We're full bar over there because it's a bigger market. So you almost have to play to the market, right? Downtown mm-hmm. Lancaster, there's a ton of eateries and pubs and bars and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. West Reading, we were able to keep it more local and people definitely like that. And our price points are great. You know, our, like our mixed drinks are all fair. The paper ounce for the beer is awesome because mm-hmm. like I go on Google and I see comments like I tasted 20 beers and my total was less than 30 bucks. You know what I mean? That's amazing. It's like an experience. So they're taste testing different beers. You find certain styles you might not like. Uh, yeah, the, the feedback has been crazy. I really love going there. I was there once. Obviously, I saw you. Yeah. And I'm definitely a beer sampler mm-hmm. because I never know what I'm going to be into that day. It, sometimes it depends on what I'm eating. And sometimes I just want to try a, a couple of sips mm-hmm. of something. 
something. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're at a regular place, mm-hmm. you can ask a bartender to sample one, but you right. don't want to annoy them by asking for no, five I, samples. Absolutely not. Yeah. And it's funny. There's one gentleman that comes in. I love him to death because he's a regular and he always spends money and get and takes crowlers, but he has no shame and asks me to sample like four or five beers. <laughs> He's like, can I, can I try this one? Let me try this sour. And I'm like, all right. So I obviously I have my own like little manager card that we can just like tap beers from. And obviously we don't, you know, keep track on a different system. So sure. I, and I give samples. If you walk in and I know you and I'm explaining the system, nine times out of 10, I'm going to give you a free, a free pour of something. So it's cool. People like it. It's innovative. Like it's, it gets people moving. And also like I notice people interact with one another where they're, you know, in a traditional bar or a setting, you might not be talking to that person across from the bar or that table across mm-hmm. from you. But now when everyone's walking up to the beer wall, it becomes like this like place of congregation and you just randomly start talking to people hey man did you try this beer this ipa is good right and it's just a cool dynamic it's definitely a different dynamic than your traditional bar mm-hmm. for sure what made you want to include the retro arcade games because those are my favorite those speak to me yeah. in a way that like other games honestly don't. like that's just that's definitely like the millennial in me like i just grew up playing video games like my mom had an atari so i grew up playing atari i had like a sega genesis i had oh, like absolutely. all the systems yeah all the way up through like now i'm in the pc world and mm-hmm. so naturally i'm a gamer and my partners were all like my age and they were all like they loved that idea they were like yeah old school games and on top of that they're free so it's not like we're trying to monetize mm-hmm. the games at the end of the day they're old school games from like the 80s and 90s I'm not going to charge people 50 cents or a dollar to play that that's not going to move the needle for us much so the fact that they're free and it's like the waiting sort of like hanging out area mm-hmm. it's it's been a hit like there's always people playing foosball or Mortal Kombat or Pac-Man or something like that you know oh, so yeah, yeah it, it fits for sure but yeah, that was all, it was all in the business plan. Like I always tell people that your business plan is important because it's your roadmap. Like it's mm-hmm. literally what you can reference whenever you're in year one, year two, year three, or, you know, things aren't going the way you might have planned. You have your, your business plan to reference, but yeah, the business plan, like the game room was a big part of that. And it was like, it was cool. You That's know? awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you would say that your education really prepared you to own this business and be on your own. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. I can't even, there's, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't because I went to Albright. So mm-hmm. I tell, it's cool because it's like, that really shows the power of education. You know, like, yeah, there's stories, there's entrepreneur stories of I dropped out of high school, I didn't go to college, I'm self-made. But at the same time now, it's like just even learning how to do a business plan. Like if I would have never had that, edu- like that knowledge already, I would have probably either been too intimidated to do it or I would have. I don't know, it just wouldn't have fell in place the way it did, just with finding the location, because, you know, there was a fire at the location that we took over in March of 2018. So there was all these things that happened that year that led to, like, us finding the location Mm -hmm. in, like, August of 18. We signed the lease in October of 18. Construction started in November. It was done by February. We opened in April. So it was just, like, this, like, whirlwind, like, gap. They just kind of just took off. Okay, so when you were at Albright and you were working on that business plan, what about the business plan helped make you successful? So at that point, um, mind you, it's home stretch. So the capstone is months away. At that point, I felt like I already had a lot of the knowledge needed because I completed, you know, all the accounting courses. I completed all the marketing. Like, one of the last courses I took was called, like, International Business. Like, that was, like, one of the, the very last courses. And then we got into our capstone. So we were we were in that course when I, when I sort of just started writing the business plan. And it was because of that. Like, I had... And I'm, 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 like, sort of a hoarder. Like, I have my MacBook that I have from when I went to Albright. And I have every single paper I've ever wrote. I have every project, every group project we did, every presentation. Like, I have it all saved in my MacBook. So... When, when I started that, I actually had like assignments from other classes are already saved with like what a business plan looks like, table of content. So I had sure. the foundation already to start it. So I started it on my own. And when I presented it to my classmates, I was probably like 13 or 14 pages in. Like I had like the whole 
you know, the summary. I had some of the marketing initiatives done, location analysis, the finances. I was sort of already brainstorming with what, what it's going to cost, what, you know, projecting years one, year two, year three. Mm-hmm. I had all of these things already, like, in, at my disposal. And on top of that, I also, um, which is really cool, which we can get into, uh, the uh, Small Business Development Center, the SBDC. I discovered that, and they offer free workshops. So I was also going to free workshops at Westchester to learn about how to write a good business plan in addition to what I already had at Albright. Oh, interesting. So the SBDC, it's free. You just sign up for stuff. They have, like, yeah, different type of seminars and stuff that you can go. So I did two of those that winter as well. So, yeah, by that by that March of, eight, of 18, my business plan was, I thought, was done until we get into the whole banks. And then they really start nitpicking. And when underwriters get a hold of your business plan, it's like homework. So they gave it back to me, like, probably three times telling me, hey, we need more here. The one girl who was really going bad for us said change your exit strategy because my exit strategy at that time was eventually selling it one day and, and getting out you know while it's hot and she was sure. like we don't want to see that you know banks and investors really don't want to see that either so but oh, she wow. was right so it helped so you know i edited that finances were definitely um and i think that's one of your questions what was the hardest part it was definitely the finances and just really um from raising the money and then also projecting your numbers to, to a bank and to an investor you know at the end of the day that's they want to see the business is going to make money and there's going to be cash flow there so my first projections were a little uh where the girl said ambitious so she was like, you're really going to do that amount? And I came back by the third time and we projected, it's funny, I'm get, I'm like getting nervous sharing this because December, it was New Year's Eve of last year before COVID that we hit um, our million sale. And I wish wow. I would have kept a ticket, but I got a text from like my, my partners over there, my GM. He said, hey, Sway, just so you know, uh, the business did a million dollars in sales. That's incredible. That happened on New Year's Eve, like that evening at like seven o'clock. So that New Year's Eve, obviously, a lot of drinking and, you know, a lot of, a lot <laughs> a of lot celebrating occurred. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> Even with the pandemic and losing uh, roughly six weeks, I would say, um, which would have been one year of, of, of revenue, I still hit um, the goal of what I showed the bank. You know, I told her, and, I, and that was with losing six months. Like I got projected 1.2. Mm-hmm. We ended up hitting like right under 1.2 million for year one. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah because they're taking a risk on you. You know, they're taking what yeah. you have to say yeah. and hoping that it's going to turn out the way that you say. And it's yeah. awesome that it really did turn yeah. out that way. I, oh my God, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, Albright and just the way they structured that and just, like I said, I I had essentially 99% of the classes done, so I just got a head start on it. Mm -hmm. So just taking all the knowledge I learned at Albright over four years and then applying that to the business plan, yeah, it worked out. I mean... Obviously, there was a lot of changes to it from from when it was finally done, once the banks got a hold of it. For sure. Yeah, and even getting into the banks, I mean, I got denied by the first two banks, which was like, yeah, like there was nights that I cried. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm already spending some of the money that I, because I invested basically, to keep it short, I, I raised 20% of my down payment for my SBA loan through family and friends. So I knew what that dollar amount was. I knew what the total project was going to cost. I simply did math, 20%. I showed the bank. I deposited the checks. The bank saw like, all right, this kid really has 20% down. And then we ended up closing on a loan. Obviously months after but um yeah Fulton Bank ended up taking us on but I think it was Tom Vist and MNT. We thought it we were gonna close and then they ended up denying me last last second both times. So it's like their time not to be you know to use a cliche but their time is definitely a charm. Of course. And Fulton Bank went to bat for us. They believed in us. They believed in me. They believed in the partners because it, besides a business plan, you have to have the manpower. So you can have a cool business plan or a great business plan, but you know, wh- where is like the uh, who's going to legitimize your plan, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a chef? Do you have a bar manager? Do you have anyone from the food industry? So what really helped me is one of our uh, one of my investors is, is a childhood friend from Domino's. His name is Jerry Stevenson. Been a friend since Northeast Middle School. He came on as an investor and, and he pretty much brought that food finance background because they're, they own like 100 stores now across the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So him being my mentor slash investor, 
commercial vendor, whatever her name was at, at Fulton, she said, you have a good shot at getting approved. I could feel it. And it took like, you know, eight weeks. You oh, know. wow. Then there was a government shutdown, right? And Trump shut down <laughs> the government. And that was all when I'm trying to get approved. So now it's like, we're like in this place of limbo for like four or five weeks, not knowing if we're going to get approved. Government shut down. No one's getting any money. But the place is still getting built. Like I'm still paying monthly mm-hmm. bills from the construction and West Reading. So I'm like, sure. I'm playing chicken at this point. I'm literally playing chicken with what I raised. And also too, I had experience with the SBA from the first two go arounds that you have to spend all of your money first before they even give you a dollar. So once I showed that I, I, I've raised, let's just say it was 150 grand. Mm-hmm. Once they, once you show that you've raised that, you have to keep track of all of your spending. And once you deplete that initial amount, then the SBA comes in and, and gives you the remaining cost to finish your project. And then it's a 10 year note. You have to have good credit, good partners. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. So it's clear that you've had a lot of success with this. What are your plans for the future? Yeah. So we have Lancaster. Um, we touched on that earlier. We opened up our second location in downtown Lancaster, PA. It's called Beer Wall on Prince. Very, uh, it, it just, it fits. You know, the name sounded good. The location was great. It was a turnkey location, which made sense for us to get into it uh, because it literally cost us half of the amount of what it costs to open West Reading. So once we analyzed that and the landlord was really cool and it was actually really neat because there was apparently another bid in the location and the owner came to Beer Wall on Penn. The owner of the building obviously came to Beer Wall. He never heard of the self-serve concept and he ate the food and then we got an email like a couple weeks later that they wanted to extend the contract lease agreement to us. So yeah, we opened uh, Lancaster in November. It's been going well and we're downtown Lancaster. So when things go back to normal with all the students in Millersville and we're right down the street from the College of the Arts, that's going to be huge. Um, Not to get too far ahead of myself, but before COVID happened, we were also negotiating a Westchester deal. Yeah. So Westchester occurred and it's funny because I have to pour my beer jacket. So when I left Penske, to go back to our story, when I left Penske, I was, uh, um, I actually had a stopgap with a company called Pour My Beer. So Pour My Beer is the actual, um, it's their proprietary tech that we bought. So essentially they're a vendor of ours. We created, well, I created this beer wall branded restaurant, but his technology is pretty much what we relied on you know, to differentiate ourselves from everyone else in right. Brooks County. Um, so his name is Josh Goodman, super cool connection because he's, he's a Shippensburg grad. So he had PA ties. He saw my story on Facebook, messages me saying, hey, you know, not sure what you're, what you're doing with your career, if you're staying at Penske, if you're going to dive into the, into the restaurant industry, but I'm looking for a Northeast sales director. You have a sales background. I was a, in corporate sales essentially for like seven years at Penske. I had just finished with my degree. So he was like, you pretty much meet all the credentials I'm looking for. You want to come to Chicago, learn about the company? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm already like, I already have the restaurant at that time. And yeah, so I actually had, uh, I worked for Pour My Beer from July of 19 uh, until July of 2020. Obviously, COVID happened, which made things just, it changed everything. COVID changed my whole course of action. You know, it really did. Um, so me being the new guy, um, and it's funny because they'll probably listen to this. I felt, you know, I was also being pulled in two different directions with the beer wall restaurant and then pour my beer and my responsibilities as, as a sales director. So it was like this sort of like, tug and pull, like tug of war of, of me emotionally. So honestly, it just ended up working out. And I told him from the beginning, I said, hey man, like the idea for me was when location two opens, regardless of where I'm at, I'm gonna I'm gonna d- jump in the industry and really just learn it and be mm-hmm. a face and help and help grow that brand. Because it's very different when you're there versus when I'm not there, because it's like, they're all like, sway, we, we had so many people ask about you for the time that you weren't here, whether mm-hmm. you were at Penske or you right. were at Pour My Beer. And it's very different. And that's something I tell people, like it's okay to be an entrepreneur and still work for someone else. Cause I did it for right. a year. I did it yeah. for a year, a year plus. So I had an, I was an entrepreneur, but I was I still had a boss, you know. So it's okay to to again not have it figured out, be an entrepreneur, work for someone else, and you know if you plan it 
strategically the way we did with right. the second location, I was able to finally leave and be an entrepreneur 100%, pay myself a salary, work for myself. And that's definitely that's the, cool, the coolest part of the whole experience. It's yeah. been like years in the making. And now it's like the last six months I've been, I've been living that. Because I've been full time there since October. Okay. So I was going to ask you what the most rewarding part of your job was, but I think you just told me, you know, ha- reaching that success and then being yeah. able to work for yourself is the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah, that is. I mean, honestly, yeah, it, it, it really is. And again, everyone's different. So, I, and also not everyone's made for it, you know, to be an entrepreneur. It's, it's hard. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's long nights. It's, uh, especially working at a restaurant, you know, the, you're pretty much serving people for a living. So they're, they're getting the best of you, right? They're getting your mm-hmm. energy. They're getting your, your upbeat attitude. Absolutely. The story that I'm sharing today, I probably share it 20 times a week, you know, cause people are interested <laughs> right. in it, you know, like it's a cool story. So, um, yeah, it, it could be exhausting, but at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, it really doesn't feel like work. And I'm really happy that I got to experience and I'm living that now right. um, at 31 years old with still the, my whole life ahead of me. So to answer your question, uh, Westchester was in the works. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, we've had some, some interests with investors that want to franchise our, our, our brand. And uh, we were looking into that for months pre-COVID. So we have a very good understanding of what that looks like. It's about a four-month process to get your franchising documents together until the point that I'm excited for that because I'm a sales guy by heart. Like I've been doing it for a decade if, right. if I include mm-hmm. you know pre-Penske. So once I had that franchise model, I think it's going to be uh, special because then I can sell that to other restaurant people. And we have connections in like, I have connections in Maryland. I have interest in Boston, apparently from one of my investors. Mm-hmm. If we would ever have a franchise package, there's some restaurant folks that would want to be interested in That's neat. potentially doing something in a different state. And honestly, it, that makes sense because we're between me, uh, Josh Denchever, who actually I haven't even shouted him out. He's actually my partner, um, general manager. And then Ben Hinkle is the executive chef for, for the company. And uh, without those two guys, I I wouldn't be able to do it but they're excited about it but they're stretched in we have west reading we have lancaster while westchester would be good and we could probably pull it off because it's still local um, I think franchising is going to be the ultimate play for us, especially leaving COVID with a lot of vacant restaurants and a lot of places that didn't survive COVID. Sure. There's going to be a ton of, of real estate out there that we could probably, again, take over kind of like we did West Reading and put our brand and our menu and our concept there. So we'll see one step at a time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. For sure. Do you think that if you move into franchising or even just move into opening new locations, will you continue with your service to the other small businesses in the area and including them and their products in your business. Oh yeah, that's that's going to be part of the business model. And part of franchising which is really cool is that we can pretty much set the rules to, you know, our restaurant for anyone that wants to, you know, franchise it. So that's oh, okay. that would all be in the agreement. Obviously, you know, with Pour My Beer, you know, I have a special connection with those guys, so they'd have to use Pour My Beer technology. So it's definitely sort of like a, a law that we would write in. But yeah, we definitely keep keep it local depending on the market. Again, like every I think every location would, would have its own identity based off of where it's at. Mm-hmm. If we're in Philly, if we're in, you know, um, Phoenixville, depending on where we're at, it's going to be a little different. So we'll always keep it local, but if we need to, we'll, we'll make it a full bar and carry, you know, Tito's and, and, and oh, Jameson sure. and that, what people are used to for sure. So Okay. Do you get to sample all of the beers that you order for the wall? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I always tell people my job sucks. Like my job sucks, <laughs> but no, I, it's, I'm obviously being sarcastic. Yeah. It's, I mean, I get to work around good beer and, and craft beer definitely has a, a strong, strong following. Absolutely. Like there's a group called Drink Book. I mean, they're part of like the one gentleman is an investor in the restaurant. Um, so I have four investors that obviously covered the whole down payment and he's part of drink book. They come in there, man, and they're just big drinkers. They spend a lot of money. They have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the craft beer community is very, very strong. And we won best draft list, uh, 2019, which is exciting. Cool. So yeah, our first year open, we won best, best draft list in Berks County. Um, so not only is the concept cool, like we have killer, killer craft beer for people to try. Yes, absolutely. There are so many, so many. good beers to yeah. try. Every time I go somewhere, I try something 
something new. Mm-hmm. And they're just there are just so many good microbreweries, especially in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Our anniversary is in April 18th. So look out for that week of April 18th. We're going to have a lot of events. Uh, we're doing a jazz brunch that Sunday um, to celebrate. We have t-shirts made. We have glassware made. Restaurant week, I think, starts next week for West Reading. So that's another two-week event. So yeah, the month of April is going to be it's going to be exciting over there. That sounds really great. So do you have any advice for our students who might want to be entrepreneurs and maybe have dreams of owning their business one day? Um, yeah, I, I can answer that wholeheart- like wholeheartedly now. Now, I would say you have to be willing like to give your life to it. You have to be willing to really be 110% in whatever it is you're doing, because if you're not, you're just doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your business a disservice. Whatever the idea is, if you're really in love with it, yeah, you have to give it 110%. Like you have to devote your life, your energy to it. And also if you believe in it to that extent, it's going to take on a life of its own and sort of like what happened with me, like it just the snowball happened and you know it manifested itself in two restaurants sure. now you know so definitely just being committed to it giving your life to it and just really educating yourself on, on whatever it is you're doing you know i know a lot of people clothing is really big now with people doing brands so it's like if you're going to do that are you in school for fashion like what's your you know just really commit to whatever it is you're doing and educating yourself um in that topic i think that's definitely what i would what i would say that's great advice awesome it has been so great having you today on the podcast yeah cool yeah i'm excited to i'm excited to hear it <laughs> me too always yeah yeah for sure if you're interested in one day owning your own business, we can help you get there. The Rack Business Administration Associate of Arts degree is designed to prepare students to enter a bachelor's program in business administration. In this program, you will learn about financial and managerial concepts, as well as analyze social, political, and financial problems. We also have the Business Management Associate of Applied Science. It may also be a good choice for you if transferring to a four-year college is not your desire. Graduates are prepared for employment as managers, entrepreneurs, supervisors, and more. In this program, you'll learn about accounting, economics, management, and more. To learn more and get started today, email admissions at rack.edu or call 610-607-6224. Classes start throughout the year, so you're never more than a few weeks away from your new path. Be sure to check back each week as we connect with more graduates, community leaders, and other exciting guests. Download the app or visit us at buzzsprout.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, or iHeartRadio. I'm Sonia Rieger on the Reading Area Community College Podcast, and I can't wait to see you next time. Bye.